Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and we thank you for we thank you for our brothers and sisters leading us as we sing praise to your name. Holy is your name and we honor you tonight. We honor you with our lives and we thank you for the grace and mercy that you've shown to each of us uh, through all the circumstances of our life. So we pause tonight to say thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and to teach us your word and to help us be able to live righteously and honorably in this world of trouble and unrighteousness. We pray, Lord, tonight for uh, the ministries going on all across. We thank you for our church. We thank you for your movement among us. We thank you for your, your grace to us as a church. We pray for all of those who are teaching the Bible tonight, our choir, all of our students and our children. We're blessed, Lord, to have the opportunity to be here and to do what we do in this place. We, we thank you for it. We pray that you'd teach us to number our days and to remember each of these days, their special days that won't last forever. We pray for those uh, children who are uh, caught in the foster care system in Tennessee. We pray that you might help our own church and our own people, those who are able and can do so to be foster parents and also the rest of us to stand in support of the workers who do this work tirelessly in our state. We pray for them. You are the father of the fatherless and you are the one who takes up the cause of the least of these. So we join you in that. Give us a tender heart as a church and all of our opportunities to minister in all the ways that we need to do it. So now, Lord, we come to your word. We are in desperate need of your wisdom tonight. There's not a one of us in here who can declare that we are all wise and we know everything. Whatever our age, we all face circumstances where we need the wisdom of God. We thank you for the book of Proverbs, which teaches us the wisdom that you have for us as we live on this earth in the fear of God. Thank you, Lord, for now the time we have in your word and bless it in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, good evening from shore to shining shore, sea to sea. This is, um, you've heard of once in a blue moon, so you better go out and see the blue moon tonight. I've been told tonight that the next one will be 2037, so you can do the math. This may be the last one <laughs> for some of you in this room, <laughs> including me. How's that? So if you don't know anything about a blue moon, you should go out and see it. What's that old bluegrass song? Blue moon of Kentucky, keep on shining. Well, it's going to shine in Tennessee. We're not in Kentucky. Proverbs chapter 25 is where we are. Before we get into, I hope you picked up an outline. Uh, so here, here, let me pause and again, give you some observations about how the book of Proverbs is put together. This is a very great help to you as you read this book. This is what causes so many people to be frustrated with the book of Proverbs, which actually it is a gold mine for all of us 
So if I could sit and ask God directly to give me wisdom for all kinds of circumstances in life, I would do that. Well, this is the way you do it. You go to the book of Proverbs. But you must learn how to use it. So let me again do this before we read chapter 25. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can just look at this. Some of your Bibles have topics or titles at the top of the chapters. So you have, so if you're going to teach your children wisdom, you do it in a number of ways. One of the ways you do it is to give them direct instruction. So from chapter 1 all the way through uh, chapter number uh, 7, you have, uh, you have this instruction manual for the young. And so that's a, it has all kinds of wisdom, has all kinds of information. And we spent a lot of time here. We've been moving our way through Proverbs for I don't even know how long. Since I guess the last blue moon. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been. Then you have chapter 8, which is a highlight because it highlights the wisdom of God speaking to us all. And then you have, beginning in chapter number 9, an invitation from wisdom. Hear wisdom. Hear the wisdom of God. And then beginning in chapter 10 through chapter 18, you have what are called contrasts. Contrasts between the righteous and the wicked. I'll just read one. Uh, generally, a contrast has a conjunction, the conjunction but. It'll say such and such, but such and such. That's a co contrast in our language, English language. So when you teach your children and grandchildren wisdom, you use contrasts between things or people or circumstances. That's a way of teaching and instruction, contrast. So I'll just uh, pick up one here. Um, I'll just read from Proverbs 10, 24. What the wicked fears will come upon him, but, contrast, the desire of the righteous will be granted. See, there's a contrast. So you have these, so if I want to know what it looks like to be uh, living in wickedness, I've got all these chapters that describe it. If I want to know what it looks like to live in righteousness, I have all of these chapters who we have this elaborate information given to us. So that's number one. Number two, uh, the next section is from, so that's chapter 10 through chapter 18. Then we come to chapter 19. Chapter 19 through uh, chapter number 23, we looked at these in detail. You have life lessons and how to conduct yourself in the fear of God. So there are all kinds of life lessons. So if I'm teaching wisdom, I teach, I teach children, I teach uh, those uh, the, that are under my care, uh, I teach them life lessons. So God has given us these wonderful chapters of life lessons. And I mentioned to you when I was going through these that these are we read all these and they're not connected. We want everything to connect in order. But what this is really showing you, this is how life is. Life is messy. Life is one thing here, one thing there, one thing here. It's all going on at the same time in the world tonight. It's, the world is, so when you read it, you're trying to connect all these things together, but they don't. You see, life lessons come from every experience of your life, good and bad. And we live then and conduct ourselves in the fear of God, in the chaos of the world. That's what those who know the Lord do. So that's chapters 19 through 23. 
Then we have in chapter 24, one chapter on giving us precepts and warnings. A precept. It's similar to a, a general, it's an it's a important concept. Significant truths and warnings are put in chapter 24, and we went through those. Sometimes warnings use the phrase do not. Then we came, uh, then we come now to what I call sacred uh, similarities and wise comparisons. So now we look at what in the in uh, our grammar we learned are similitudes. Things that are not contrasts, but are comparisons. Um, do a little, and then, then as we, and so that's in chapter 25, 26. Then you have, some, you have warnings again and instruction in chapters 27 through 29. Now all of these things are, so uh, what I'm saying is there is a structure to the book of Proverbs, which is, been meticulously laid out, and we're going to be reminded tonight that these the proverbs of Solomon were also taken by later kings of of Israel, Hezekiah, uh, in particular, and they were transcribed from Solomon's words that were already written, and he used them again and put them down. So tonight we look at the collection of proverbs of Solomon, verse number one which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. So these came later. So all of the book of Proverbs is laid together in order to teach us the wisdom of God. That's why I encourage you, read through the book of Proverbs. It is, what, it is the wisdom of God for us all, my friends, for all the ages of life. So let's hear the word of God. Oh, let me just say this real quick. Uh, similes. Or similitudes, similes. They allow the reader to use their imagination. So tonight I want you to use your imagination when we look at these similitudes, these similarities, these, these wise comparisons. Use your imagination, your holy imagination tonight. Uh, it will fill in the blanks and it helps us with understanding. You see, I'm convinced that these these. Uh, Contrasts and similitudes help you with meditating on God's Word. This is the very book of Proverbs itself, which is another lesson that I'm going on, but I want to say this. This is all important. The very book of Proverbs itself helps us learn how to meditate on God's Word. You don't meditate on giant parts of the Word. You meditate on one truth. You think it. You rethink it. You, you turn it this way, you turn it that way. It's like my Bible here. I'm looking here, I'm looking there, I'm looking here. I'm meditating. I'm taking the concept and turning it all kinds of ways in my mind. And as I've said to this church as your pastor now for a long time, we all know how to meditate in this room. It's called worry. Worry is meditating. You can't get it off your mind. You turn it, you twist it, this, 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 this. Worry. Now, take, take, the, take the mental capacity and energy you use in worry and learn to focus it on the truths of God's Word. It will bless you. It's truly like heaven on earth. It really is. It will release you and free you from fear and troubles and worries. That's why I am a 
So what would I do? If I had only the Gospels and I could only pick two other books, it would be the Gospels and Psalms and Proverbs. That would be it. That would be enough. But thankfully, I have all of it. These, are, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which, are, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. All right, here we go. Sacred simility, simility, similarities and wise comparisons. And notice these all have, many of them have the phrase like, the word like, L-I-K-E. And then they'll have so, like so, like so. This is the way a similitude works. Not always. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so, there's the so, the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver and there comes out a vessel for the smith. Take away the wicked before the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of great men. For it is better that it be said to you, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince, whom your eyes have seen. Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of another. Or he who hears it will reproach you and the evil report about you will not pass away. Now here's one that's a little clearer. Like, here's the, here's the similitude. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Another one. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. By forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. Have you found honey? Oh, wait a minute, this is the third time now, third chapter that's spoken about honey. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need that you not have it in excess and vomit it. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, or he will become weary of you and hate you. Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you he will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. 
The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry face. It is better to live in a corner of the roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Like cold water to a weary soul, so, so notice like and so, like and so. This is the common way. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. It is not good to eat much honey. Again, here we go. Nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word and may the Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as you follow your notes, there are 10 uh, uh, comparisons here that I want us to look at. These are my words describing them. God's glory and the King's glory. Here's a, here's a comparison. What's the glory of God like compared to the glory of a king? Well, we see quickly that the glory of God is to conceal a matter. God's glory is not just in revealing truth, but in concealing truth. Now, we just finished it. What did the Lord do? What did the Lord do uh, quickly as he was uh, preaching about the kingdom? He started sharing stories, parables. Parables were to hide the truth from those who chose not to believe. See, this, is, this sounds cruel. But actually the story engages someone and those who want to find out the truth will learn from the story. You see, God's ways sometimes in our life, we say, why is God allowing these things to happen to me? I don't know how many times I've been asked that in my life by uh, people as a pastor. I don't know how many times I've asked it myself to God. But you see, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Why won't this ever resolve itself? Why does this go on? Why do I have this, whatever it may be? Because it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. I give you some passages here. Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For, notice this, from Him, from God, through Him, through God, and to Him, to God, are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Isaiah the prophet said, this is Isaiah the preacher, and God speaking through him to, to Israel, and he says, and this is famous, most of you know this, my ways are not your ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways above beyond your ways. Lord, why is this happening in my life? Now, again, when there's sin in my life, I know why things happen to me. When I'm dealing with sin in my life and I'm reaping the consequences of bad decisions and bad choices, I know the reason why. But when I seek to walk with God, when I seek to do what seems to be pleasing to Him, and there's still trouble, there's still difficulty. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. 
Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. There are things we will never understand in this world. They are mysteries, but in heaven they'll be clearly understood. But for now, we live sometimes in mystery and uh, mis a lack of information. Acts 1, 7. Here's what the Lord said. Lord, is it time for you to return? Is this the time that you're going to return to the earth again? You've, you've come back. You've been raised from the dead. Are you ready now? To, are you ready? And the Lord says, the Lord Jesus said, Acts 1, 7. It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. This has caused many people to turn away from following and believing in God. Well, why all the trouble and suffering in the world? That's a really complicated question. There are a lot of reasons and a lot of levels and a lot of layers for why there's suffering in the world. We have the entire book of Job that deals with this very important matter of the glory of God is concealing a matter. Why would God pick and say to the devil, my best man, have you considered Job as your target? Why would God do such a thing? It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. He's not consulting with us. He is the sovereign God of heaven and earth. He is the maker of all things, as we're now going to be talking about on Sundays. He is the creator. He is the one who made all things according to his own will and purpose, as Paul says, from him, through him, to him. From him, through him, and to him. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But what about kings? Well, the, uh, notice it's somewhat of a contrast. The glory of a king is to search out a matter. As the heavens, now notice he speaks several things about the kings here. Let's just look, the, a king. So a king searches out matters, that is, investigates. Kings send out parties and they have people on their town, their teams that in, do investigation and look into details and issues in the in the kingdom. It says here that kings, notice that you can't, their, their, their heart, their mind is unsearchable. That is, kings don't disclose their thinking as the heavens for height and the earth for depth. So the heart of the king, verse 3, is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver and there comes out a vessel for the smith. Notice, take away the dross. How do you do it? With fire. With fire. You remove the, the impurities from a pure metal with fire and notice what the contrast is and take away the wicked from before the king and his throne will be established. Kings, we, we see all through the Old Testament the example of unrighteous, wicked men consulting kings, the kings of Israel. And we know, this group knows, you know what Israel got for that. But if you remove wickedness from authority... And those and authorities working with the king, guess what? The king's, the king's uh, throne is established. I can't help but think that Hezekiah was reading these words. He was one of those kings who repented, wasn't he? Hezekiah read these words and thought deeply about his responsibility as a king of Judah. Here we see, do not claim honor in the presence of the king and stand in the place of great men. 
Notice we were reminded of this from our Lord, weren't we? When we were looking at the stories. It's better for them to say, come up here. In other words, don't take the place of honor. Be invited to the place of honor. Let the leaders recognize you and honor you. Don't try to honor yourself. That's what the Lord said. Remember when the people were trying to pick out the best seats? It's very similar. Then we come, secondly, to quick and careful settlements. You know what I've noticed? A lot of people like to argue just so they can win the argument. And some of the things they argue about are absolutely ridiculous. Have you ever been around somebody who just likes to win the argument? It's just like, why? What's the point? They have to say the last thing. They got to make the last point. This happens in church. I've been doing this a long time. I've sat at the table and thought with men who knew better, why are we doing this? What is the point of this ridiculous, useless argument? But when we're going to argue, notice what we must do. We need to be careful not to rush into the argument. Do not go hastily to argue your case. Notice the key word is hastily. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? you know, get your facts together before you have an argument. You know, one of the old things that Pat and I were, we were in a place where we were learning about marriage counseling and doing things in pastoral ministry. So there was one old teacher that taught this material, preacher taught this material, how to have a fair fight. Okay. A fair fight means you don't keep bringing up the past. You, your, your, your debate is about the issue at hand. You don't keep saying, and this is what you always do. You know, you, we all know how this works. Go back and grab a little of the past and bring that in and bang everybody around with it. No. Get your facts together if you're going to have an argument. And then notice, argue. Uh, beginning in verse 9, argue your case with your neighbor. Here's my position. Here's my thoughts. What are yours? And notice what Scripture says, and do not reveal the secret of another. That's so hard. By the way, and so-and-so told me, well, wait a minute. Going and getting other facts from the past and telling what secrets you know is not helpful in the matter of having a debate or an argument. Notice, or he who hears it will reproach you because you revealed, by the way, the secrets of another. Someone told you secrets? Be careful how you reveal them. And the evil report about you being a talebearer, a secret teller, will not pass away. Lots to think about. See, now there's, there's an example. I could take that right there and think about why in my life do I always want to win the argument? Because it's pure sinful stubbornness. That's why. Now we go to this beautiful picture. Like apples of gold and settings of silver. Some of you women have beautiful settings of, of silver. Beautiful, beautiful ornamental, um, decorative bowls and baskets. And they're beautiful. And if you put, and of course, notice apples of gold. 
I don't know what your favorite kind of apple is. What, gold, green, or red? I'm a green apple guy. I want it to maybe give me a little bit of a twist to it. Apples of gold in settings of silver. Can you see those apples of gold in that beautiful setting of silver? That's the picture. Now, here's the contrast. Instead of arguing a word spoken in right circumstances, you say it at the right time. You say it in the right way. You say it at the right moment. You know, there is the teachable moment and there is the unteachable moment. How many of you have ever learned that with your kids? <laughs> Every day, all the time, you know? Oh, my friends, how wonderful it is to see when words are a beautiful thing. A lovely setting endures the attentiveness of truth and good words bring refreshment. You see, we go on here to read something else. Notice, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. See, it's the right circumstance. You say it at the right time. You say it in the right way. It's beautiful. It's like a beautiful earring that you women wear. An ornament of gold or an earring, it's wise reproof, correction direction from a listening ear. It's beautiful because someone's listening and someone's speaking correction or reproof or encouragement, whatever it may be, but a timely word and both are, both are doing the right thing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful words. And then you find like clouds and wind Let's go back. Like, like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. A third example of words that encourage. Words that are spoken in right circumstance. Words that are, are reproof, wise reproof to a listening ear. You, a wise reproof comes to the listening ear. You only give it to one who's ready to hear it like cold of snow in the time of harvest. Now it's hot. It's hot out there right now. This is not saying the snow comes to ruin your harvest. It's, wouldn't it be nice on a day like we've been having with humidity, we just felt a little of it. How would it be to have some maybe nice, refreshing, cold air? That's what we do in the air conditioning on a hot day. That's how wonderful and refreshing it is when you have someone, a faithful messenger to those who brings good news. Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. A soft answer turns away wrath. We heard that earlier. And that's a beautiful picture of this phrase in verse 15. By forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. What a great contrast and comparison. Moderate eating and excessive visiting is what I call this next one. Moderate eating and <laughs> excessive visiting. <laughs> you know, you know that somebody's coming to your house way too much when you look out the window and say, oh no, they're here again. <laughs> <You know? 
And uh, this illustration about honey was because it was such a delicacy. We've been laughing about honey. Todd says today in staff meeting, if I could just get rid of my addiction to caffeine and sugar. So I said, Todd, I have a verse for you. I have a verse for you, Todd. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need that you have not in excess and vomit it. He said, thanks, Brother Mike. I appreciate that. Well, do you like honey? What do you like? The point is, eat it moderately. Eat it moderately. Someone came by and brought me some M&Ms and some Dr. Peppers in celebration of 10 years of my journeying here with you. And I've been eating in that bag of M&M's and then I was reading this verse today and after my fifth handful, I said, I have to stop. Do you like M&M's? Yes. Moderate eating and excessive visiting. Let's go on and hear this now. Listen. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house. A lot of wisdom in this. Or He will become weary of you and hate you. <laughs> Pat and I laugh just because we've had a lot of different experiences around this kind of situation. When you go to visit, you go to visit for a reason. Not just because you don't have anything else to do. Your neighbor needs some privacy also. Your friends need a break from you just like you need a break from them. <laughs> so, we'll just let the proverb, we'll let the, we'll let the sacred similitude stand on its own. You can make your own choices and thoughts about it, but be wise about your visiting. Uh, don't just take it upon yourself. Hey, I'm just going to go by and see so-and-so. Well, it might not be a good time. Probably good to check before you go. The weapons of lies. This is a hard one. There are three weapons that kill when you lie. Lies kill people. Did you know that? Lies kill people. Lies kill. Like a club. That's just a brutal weapon. A club is meant to just pound you senseless and uh, pound your face in or whatever your body, break your bones. It's a club. That's what a lie is like. Do you see the comparison? Lies are like clubs. Lies are like a sword deeply wounding those that are falsely accused, those that are lied about. Lies are a sharpened arrow that pierce the mind. It's hard, it's hard to overcome the feelings you have toward those who lie about you, who falsely accuse you. And we've all in this room experienced it. Sadly, we've all done it to others. Here are the weapons of lies. Clubs, swords, and sharp arrows. 
So is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. You can't depend on him. You can't count on her. You need them, but they're not there. This is such an important reminder to us all that we not be undependable, that we be reliable, that we be faithful, that we be available. And then he talks about the cruelty. The next is songs of despair, good deeds, gossip, and disagreement, 19 to 24. <clears throat> like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. The idea is taking a garment off of someone on a cold day. That, that would be cruel. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. You see, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. That's the way the NLT reads. Ecclesiastes reminds us in chapter 3 that there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. Happy, joyful songs don't help those who are in sadness. You remember what we learned about lament from the book of Lamentations together. And we learned about Job. When your friends are in sorrow, you just sit with them silently. It's not what you say and you certainly don't need to sing them a song. Just be there with them in their moments of trouble. If your enemy is hungry, this is a very uh, interesting, it's, this, is, this one is so, so misunderstood, but it's a metaphor. It's an old ancient phrase that sounds wicked and bad, but it's actually good. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And this shows up also in uh, the Apostle Paul uses it in the New Testament about doing good to others. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink for you will heap burning coals on his head. That is, burning coals on his head was a way of giving coal, giving what people needed to warm their fires. It was not a bad thing. Like, yeah, it's going to burn him up. Just do all this good stuff and it's going to burn him up. That's terrible teaching. That's horrible teaching. Do good in order so he'll really be treated bad. That's awful. <laughs> That's not what to say. It's a phrase. It's an old oriental phrase about heaping coals on his head. Is this, You're doing an honorable thing to help them by feeding your enemies. And look what it says. And God will reward you. And our Lord talked a lot about this. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. It is better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And like cold water to a weary soul, now he comes back to this thing about good words, is good news from a distant land. There's nothing better than hearing good news but what about compromise? Verse 26. This is, you know, in the ancient world, uh, your spring was very important. It was your source of water. And a, and a well was vitally important. Those were the places where you fed your animals and also got your drinking water. And your, you know, so a spring and a well are very important. They are to us in some ways today, but not like... So read this carefully and think about this. This very important comparison. Like a trampled spring, all muddied, and a polluted well, 
is a righteous man who gives way before wickedness or before the wicked. I'll give you some examples. Peter cursed at the fire to the slave girl who said, you were one of them. Peter. Peter cursed and denied that he knew the Lord Jesus to a servant slave girl in the flickering fire. Here was an example of a righteous man who gave way, who failed, who compromised. David compromised and sinned with Bathsheba. What a terrible thing. The awful consequences that have come from that and came from that. You see, sinful compromise of a righteous person muddies the spring of life and grieves the Holy Spirit. As we read here, a muddied spring, a ruined fountain is a righteous man fallen before a wicked one. But what about self-arrogance? 27. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it, nor is, is it glory to search out one's own glory. Now all the young people spend all their time worrying about how many people do whatever they do to them on the phone, on the internet. There have been children who have become so depressed and sad that have ended their lives because of not being liked by people on their social media page. What in the world have we done? What have we done? We've turned things around. We live in this upside down world. As I mentioned to you Sunday, in the last days, the love of self will be supreme. We love ourselves. We promote ourselves. We uh, shoot pictures of ourselves. We whatever that's called. What do you call that when you shoot selfie. a picture? Huh? Uh, and you know what that is? A selfie. I know, but that's what it is. You take a picture of yourself. Any of you people who are old like me, did you ever ever think one day I'm going to take a Polaroid camera and take a picture of myself? No, you never did that. It never crossed your mind. But that's not where we live now. The world of selfies and shameless self-promotion. That's the world we live in. It's not honorable to search out your own glory. Hey, what were they saying about me? Well, who cares? Why do you care so much what they're saying about you? How about this? What does God say about me? Wouldn't that be a better question? Lord, what do you think about me? Be careful. Holy Spirit might tell you. <laughs> Finally, I want to get to this. I got two minutes. This one's very valuable. This is really valuable. In fact, we've, we've seen this before. We've heard this before, only it was given in a different way in an earlier proverb, but I won't go there for now. Notice, a city... Like a city that is broken into and without walls. Now remember, this is the ancient world. The world where you had walls to protect you from the, the enemy. A city broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Like an open city without walls is a man whose temper is uncurbed. You know... I have a little saying from an old preacher, Sibs, 
Sibs is one of my favorite old preachers. He's one of my friends. I looked forward to meeting him in heaven. He lived, you know, he lived, the, he lived in the days of Shakespeare. He was a preacher in those days. He has a good saying, and I like it so much, I stick it right by my desk, right to my right, where every time I look at my computer and my beautiful wife's picture, right below it, there is this little piece of paper. Conquer yourself, and the world is conquered for you. That's the way I would end tonight. Conquer yourself. The world is conquered for you. Because the greatest conquest is the conquest of yourself. And it only comes when you're saved by the grace of God and you live by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us what? That blessed thing, self-control. Can anybody say amen? amen? One of the sweetest verses to me in all the Bible. It's a promise. Paul was talking about it in Romans 6. And this is my final word. Sin, this is Romans 6.14. I didn't put it in your notes. Sin shall not be master over you. If you're saved, are you listening to me tonight? Whatever you're facing, whatever you're fighting with, however you're having to deal with self-control, sin shall not be master over you. And old Sibs said it best. Conquer yourself and the world is conquered for you. And that's what we say tonight. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Lord Jesus is coming. He's near to the door. It won't be long. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these wonderful moments to be in Your Word. Tonight we can look to the heavens to see one of those beautiful, beautiful lights that You put in the heaven. You created it, the moon, and You put it right where You put it, the day of its creation. Tonight we see the blue moon and we're reminded of Your glory and Your majesty and Your creativity. And You made the moon and You also made us. And now we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What better way to live our lives than to live under the controlling power of the Holy Spirit so that we might conquer ourselves. Thank You for this evening and our time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you folks. Have a great week. Lord willing, see you Sunday. We'll continue to talk about remember your Creator. Say hello to somebody on your way out if you don't uh, know them. Might have somebody new here you don't know. Say hello to them.